Oh, it's the Roller Arms and Barrel Show. Talking to vintage baseball players from Coast Coast Border Border. That's what we do around this this joint. Oh, it's going to be a good episode. <laughs> uh, he's not in the room yet, uh, but we're going to have a great guest. But let's talk to our co-host. Now, let me introduce myself. You know what? Let's pretend like I know what I'm doing. You know what? Let's start from the beginning. <laughs> hey, it's the Roller Around the Rural Vintage Baseball Podcast, talking to vintage baseball players from coast to coast and border to border. I am your host, the Barrel Roller, Matthew Bernard, coming around third. Here is the throw from the co-host, Rudy Swamp Fox, free us, and he's going to be. What do you got there, Rudy? Safe at the plate. Nah, I'm never safe at the plate. Always in my book, the call is always right. <laughs> so, uh, Rudy, how you doing? I'm oh, doing pretty good. Pretty good. Can't complain. I'm in, uh, I'm in closeout mode for the summer of 2022. So I'm ready to kiss it farewell and, and, and move on. So, uh, yeah, you man. just, uh, you just spent some time at uh, a muffins event this, this last weekend. Uh, what was that all about? Oh my gosh, that was so cool! So it was the Muffins' last home game with the um, and their guests were the Mansfield Independents. Um, and the thing that they uh, that made this event so special is they called it the homecoming event, where they invited anybody who had been a part of the Muffin and Diamond program uh, ever and uh, to come, hang out, have some light refreshments and snacks. My parents put together two tables worth of like. Muffin and diamond memorabilia. It was amazing. It was such a good idea. And um, the muffins always are amazing hosts. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was very, very special to be a part of. And I, I was glad that I got to be there. So um, I hope it's something they do annually because um, for those individuals who aren't aware, uh, the Ohio Village muffins, began pl playing vintage baseball uh, in the early 80s. I want to say like 80, 81, somewhere around there. And uh, m hundreds and hundreds of people have come through that program. So it was really great to reconnect with a bunch of people, and, and, and hopefully it'll continue to grow. Uh, yeah, so everything the muffins do, uh, classic, classy, uh, when I think of other words that stay class, like classroom, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> take you to school. You know, it was really interesting. It was, uh, before our guest gets here, it was really interesting to, uh, meet and, you know, to see a bunch of people and have conversations and reconnect. And, and we, uh, my, we had a conversation with, um, the uh, one of the the individuals who started the muffin and diamond program and well the muffin program and how um, and she said um, I'm blanking on the name and I cannot I cannot forgive myself I believe Vicky 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 is the name and uh, she said we just did it for we just thought it would be something cool to have at the village we never envisioned or thought that it would grow to what it did. And she was so uh, grateful and thankful and just really um, impressed with how um, vintage baseball has sustained um, for over 40 years uh, in the Midwest. And it, and she was, you know, it was, it was a very sweet interaction. And I was, I was, uh, yeah, I was really lucky to be a part of that. Uh, excellent. Hey, uh, let me get a couple of streaming and movie reviews out of the way before our guest comes in there. Uh, saw a trailer this week for a movie called Pearl. Thought it looked, it was a horror movie and it looked very Wizard of Oz-ish. And I'm like, this looks so cool. I just am going to go. So I went with my daughter and, uh, who is a big horror fan. She's actually going with me to the haunt when we are on the road at the deranged Mike Feeney's deranged haunt, uh, later this, what in like two weekends. 
and she's going to be one of the haunters, hopefully, uh, that Mike has uh, room for her. But anyway, then I started doing research uh, for this movie after I asked her to go to this movie. Never do that, Rudy. Research first before you're going to go to a movie with your daughter. I don't care that she's 28. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> so so we went to Qdoba to eat just before we go in the movie theater, and I said, listen, I did not research this movie before I asked you to come here. There's things that are going to happen in this movie potentially that we don't need to ever talk about again. And she's like, yeah, I did some research. And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. So apparently there was a movie released back earlier this year called X. And this movie that we went to called Pearl is the prequel and origin story of the old woman in X. So there wasn't a lot for me to have to worry about, to tell you the truth. I just didn't know that ahead of time. So a very kooky, if you, I mean, it's very Wizard of Oz, like just the way things were shot and stuff like that. Uh, and then I got home and I rented X. So I'm watching the first two movies, but I did it in the wrong order. But, I mean, it kind of worked out anyway. And that was shot at the same exact time because they use the same exact farm location. And that one was shot more in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre type shooting. I'm just talking not story-wise or anything like that. Just the way it was shot. And uh, and then they have a sequel coming out that's going to be called Maxine. And that's shot in a very 1980s uh, form from what I've seen of the limited trailer. Anyway, it's not. So like this Pearl movie, one of the taglines was bloodbath, right? It's not a bloodbath. All right. There's, it's a horror movie, but it's more of a psychological horror movie with some bloodbath in the, in the end, like the last 15 minutes of the movie, there's some bloodbath. But other than that, it's more of a, it's a build. It's wacky. It's very original. Uh, I wouldn't say I loved it, but I liked it. And yeah. uh, I, I I would am... I would recommend it to people. Yeah. You know, uh, beneath this tough exterior, you might be shocked to learn that I don't like watching horror movies or anything like that. Um, but just checking out the 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 footage. Because I'm just, it, you know, pull it up on IMDb X. In 1979, a group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film in rural Texas. And that's really kind of, I mean, you you might hook a bunch of people. But just watching the silent clip, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I don't need to see this movie. I'm good. No, you I don't want to watch, like- you don't want to watch X. If you don't like scary horror movies, you don't need that. But I would recommend that you don't watch X, but watch Pearl when it comes out to streaming just because of the way it's shot, just because of the way they made that movie. Uh, you'll be able to appreciate it and then just look away a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to do that. And, uh, and then I also uh, watched a, I watched season five of Cobra Kai which was awesome. Really? I'm only on episode two, so Oh, it's one I'm of the excited. best it's one of the best seasons they've had. So I couldn't put it down once I started. I think I watched it in two right. sittings. And uh and I'm not usually a long sitting guy, so it was nice to actually be able to do that. And well I wasn't feeling well this week and I actually missed a day of work with what turned out to be potential COVID. And it wasn't. I was just normal, oh, normal sick, and just normal sick, regular sick. And then I watched uh, in my downtime the 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 reality uh, thing. Uh, Sins of the mother. Sins of the mother is about Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell, and they're the ones that religious nuts that killed her kids and 
they both killed their spouses and ended up together and they're on trial that starts next year and for some reason i can't get enough of that story i don't know it's like wow give me more uh ted kaczynski give me more unabomber i can't get enough of the unabomber and i mean in this story i can't get enough. i don't know why i'm i have a sickness uh, Rudy, do you have anything that you and the wife have been watching? Um, well, yeah, real quick before our guest is here because he's uh, knocking on the door. He, um, uh, we are watching, um, and uh, you recommended it, but I think you were saying the name wrong. Uh, the bear. No, it's not. It's yeah, it's the bear. I was calling it the beef, wasn't I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 It's about beef, though. There's yeah, beef in it. It's, it's so good. I can't. I'll back you up. It is so so good. Um, and then um, we've been watching a lot of. Um, uh, yeah, come on, you know, Bargain Block, um, which is about two guys on at HGTV who are um, uh, flipping homes in Detroit, but at a reasonable price. It's like normal. It's like they're. They're making them affordable, and it's really cool. And then the last thing I'm watching is Welcome to Wrexham on Hulu. I'm fascinated by this documentary. I think it's I'm going to start uh, Ryan on Reynolds. That. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I recommend it. So, yeah, I'm gonna. I think so I'm gonna start in on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So you want me to? You want me to let uh, Jonathan in? Let him in. And. Uh... While we're letting Johnny in, uh, roll around the barrel on the road to the Michigan State Cup tournament this weekend on Saturday. Six teams, one-day format. Uh, let me run through the team. Saginaw, Old Golds, Bay City, Independence, Canton Corn Shuckers, Greenfield Village, Lottie Dawes, Walker Tavern Wheels, and the Flat Rock the Bear Clan of Flat Rock in a one-day uh, single elimination tournament for the the mighty Michigan Cup. Wow. So we'll be bringing that to you. Uh, but joining the room, joining the podcast, joining the presentation, Johnny Carlavalli from the Providence Grays. Johnny, how you doing? What's up? Uh, I'm muted. No. no, you're good. We hear you. Nope, you're okay. good. Yeah, like pregnant that. pauses. <laughs> yeah, there might be delays like, uh, because we do the Zoom thing. Gotcha. I'm not the most uh, technically savvy dude in the world. But you know what you are? Hey, you know what you are, John? Is you're a hell of a musician. That's what you are because I've been Thank digging. You. I've been digging deep, and I don't know if. Uh, You've listened to any of the episodes of this. Uh, thanks for coming on, by the way. I tracked you down at Old Beth Page and said, I need to have you on the show. And then I don't remember the last, the rest of the conversation because I kind of got lost in your eyes. And then uh, it's all a blur. But I remember it. I said September. And so here we are in September, just as I promised a man of my word. And I started doing research on you. Uh, and then I was talking to Rudy just as before we hit record and I said, you know what we should do? We should change up the, the format of the show today because we usually do about 30 minutes vintage baseball and then 30 minutes more about who you are. And, uh, I wanted to switch it today to do that 30 minutes of who you are first. And then we'll talk vintage baseball for the next 30 minutes. But All right. if you are, I now I'm not going to be embarrassed if I if I looked up a different guy, okay? Would you say it's correct that I could go to Amazon right now and buy a song of you singing? Probably. I mean, would the song <laughs> would the song that I would be able to find on Amazon right now and buy for ninety nine cents be "Put Out the Lights"? Uh, "Put Out the Lights." Yes, that's uh Oh man, that's an old. Uh, r&b jazz song i did a, a, a ton of years ago yeah that's on a um a burlesque uh compilation 
And the interesting thing is, it's my little inside joke that I'll share with the rest of the world. It's a song about sleeping with an unattractive woman. All right. <laughs> so we've all been there, right? Well, <laughs> and, the cat's uh, out of the bag. <laughs> so just like the pina colada song i have i have listened to this song but i have not listened to the words so i didn't know what the pina colada song meant until like a month ago and now i don't know that i didn't know that's what this song meant until this still it's probably pretty offensive it, re- it really is in, in today's standards i guess it'd be pretty offensive well that's great oh baby put out the lights so right there that's <laughs> that's johnny on amazon music you can look it up now now it makes perfect sense to me but uh so rudy and i never ask anybody for any money to keep this podcast going uh someday we might but that day has not happened <laughs> in like 160 episodes. So what we want everybody who's listening to this episode to do is we want you to go to Amazon and we want you to look up the album, make some noise. And we want you to go down to Johnny Carlavalli, 99 cents for put out the lights. It is three and a half minutes of pure glory. Uh, Johnny, tell us about, your music background and let's get into it. I mean, that, that song's actually, uh, I think I recorded that song, uh, 2006. I might've put it out on, uh, my first full length record, uh, in, I did that in 2007. So that's, that's pretty old for me. Um, that was my second, release i had an ep before that in in 2005 uh it's back when i did a lot of uh r&b blues uh rockabilly jump blues so there's there might be a ton more records out there just not that one song <laughs> are you saying there's something wrong with that song because it sounds amazing uh the thank you the i sometimes in music i think less is more and uh, that's one of those, it's just an easy listening. There's not a lot going on, and you, you don't really need a lot to go on. Uh, Rudy, hit him. Hit him with a question. Was this, uh, was this something that you uh, grew up with music in, as, a, as a child, something you came into during your adolescence? I mean, how has music always been a part of your life? Yeah, my, uh, my grandfather was a, a very talented musician, although I, I never got I never got to meet him. Uh, it skipped a generation, but the love for music doesn't. And my father, uh, he definitely, um, he pumped music down, you know, down my throat, you know, made sure I, I was listening to the right stuff, you know, old, old soul and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, R&B and, and, and Motown. I mean, those were, those were the staples at my dad's house, which, you know, Elvis Presley and stuff like that led me to, you know, rock and roll and, and blues and R&B. And, and then he let me do, you know, whatever I wanted. I remember the poor guy had to go to, uh, drop me off at school in the morning and he'd always let me put whatever tape I wanted in. And I, the poor guy had to listen to Probably Guns and Roses, Dictators, Dead Kennedys, Sex Pistols. Who the hell was the poor guy had to go through all that? And he uh, he took it on the chin. But when I decided to start playing somewhat professionally, I I did go back to uh, the music that you know he he got me into really. Nice. What is that's, that's uh, go, ahead. go ahead. Sorry, Bear Roy. Uh, no, no, I'm piggybacking off of you, so you go ahead. No, I was going to say that's a far cry from my school trips with my dad. He controlled the radio, so it was only classic rock all the way every day. And so if I wanted to hear anything different, I had to be at school. So that's really cool. I mean, and it's cool to see the evolution because, I mean, if you just put R&B and rockabilly at 
two ends of a line here. You're like, how did you get from one to the other? So that's really cool that you had that all growing up as a kid. Yeah. I mean, it, and it kind of, it stumbled, you know, in my lap. I, uh, my, my best friend and musical mentor, you know, him and I were, you know, we were, we might've been in our early twenties and he said, Hey man, let's, you know, can you sing something? Let's, let's play some songs. And I was kind of really into, you know, rock and roll and stuff that he didn't really want to do. And we kind of just messed around with stuff. And, and he was into the rockabilly scene, which he introduced me to. And there were a lot of ba- bands of uh, people around our age that were playing old fifties music, you know, but doing it, you know, like, you know, basically punk rock, you know, to me, it was, it was wild and insane. And I finally said to him one day, I was like, Hey man, let's do this. And that's how I got into that whole, you know, scene of playing that kind of stuff. Okay. Two questions. One, the box masters with Billy Bob Thornton, does he suck? I don't know. I've never really listened to it. All right. He does rockabilly and uh, I think he sucks, but I don't know if I'm jaded because, because <laughs> I think he sucks. Uh, question number two, uh, what is the current band that you're playing with? Uh, and if it is the wandering ones, tell us uh, what it's been like since your start of that band. Well, I mean, the main band I've been in for, uh, we're going on seven years is a band called the high end. And it's, it's, a it's a rock and roll band. And it, it, it was a group of us that, you know, we had all been in different projects and knew each other, uh, in the past. And he said, Hey, let's get together and, and do this, this little thing here. And they wanted to do some covers and I, I don't like to do covers. I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not talented enough to, to play covers. So I'd rather steal a cover and write my own song to it basically (laughs) and write original music. And that's, you know, that's, that's how that, that band started. And I'm, I'm still in that band. We're signed to a small little, little label called Rumbar records, uh, out of, uh, the owner's based out of Boston. So that's, that's my main gig. Name every band you've been in, in chronological order, starting with the very first band. This is a test. <laughs> Should I start professionally? Is that no, is that, no? Can I, can I do that? No, you cannot <laughs> start professionally. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't this, think this it was going to be embarrassing. I didn't know it was going to be this hard. Uh, <laughs> can you name the first band you were ever in? The first real band I was ever in that actually. Had a gig was professional and we got paid and we went into the studio. It was a band called the young ones. And that was with, with my best friend and, and musical mentor. And that's, we decided to uh, start playing rockabilly and uh, you know, we, we really didn't know too many people, but we, we said, Hey, this is what we do. And we introduced ourselves to people and it, and it sent me to a whole world of, uh, friendships and travel and and recording and that so that was the first real honest to god true band i'd ever played in but before and the that... cool thing is and we we took the name the young ones and the great thing about booking the band is every time this is before you had to like email bands you had to like uh clubs you had to call clubs and we'd call a club and we say hey we got this band called uh the young ones and they'd always say like oh we've heard of you <laughs> cool and we'd get gigs now bef- and it was because of the tv show the young ones. oh before the young ones though i bet you were in a band that did at least one gig at what a coffee shop or a school dance or something before you felt professional in your setup there had to have been a band that you did like a really bad gig with yeah, <laughs> I played some dive bars uh, with with a, with some buddies. You know, like him playing acoustic guitars, and it was 
pretty rough. I'm sure. <laughs> I can't even remember the name of what oh, we went by. That's where the gold is right there. You're robbing us, Johnny. That's where the gold is. The name of those bands. <laughs> you really want, you really want me to give you a terrible name? <laughs> yes. That's what I'm looking for here. All these classy names that you're handing out of your bands and then All right. you're hiding them. My, my moniker was Dangerous Johnny. <laughs> so it was Dangerous Johnny and the Wild Ones. That was well, that's not what, terrible. What, what was our, uh, it's awful. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, not it's not even funny. I mean, it's not great, but it's not awful. It's kind of it in is, the middle. It is, it is really <laughs> wet behind the ears. It really is. <laughs> oh, how many times did you hear, oh, you're dangerous, Johnny. You're so dangerous. Oh, I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go into detail, but I heard it. I, I love how he was like, oh, you want me to go into these names? And then he's like, oh, no, let me tell you. It, it worked. It worked. That's nice. How how many instruments do you play? Uh, well or poorly? Uh, let's go well. Let's do. I want you to brag on yourself a little bit. Uh, I believe I play upright bass pretty well. Yeah. That's... I think I'm a, I'm a pretty good upright bass player. I mean, I've, I I taught myself and I learned from uh, playing in a band with one of the best upright bass players I I to me in in the world is this guy Jack Hanlon, and he was the bass player of that song you played, uh, "Put Out the Lights." Uh, and I sat in a band with him for close to 10 years just listening to his bass line so when i wanted to play upright bass that's what i had to compare myself to so that that was jump street for me was wow. somebody that's great so i you know i i think i play upright bass pretty good let me let me follow up how do you get your hands on an upright bass like is this some like i imagine it's not the easiest instrument to get around town so like well yeah talk about the genesis of your first upright bass i mean uh my first upright bass was you know it was a i think i i bought it off uh, an old guitar player uh you know he had it and it was a really cheap chinese bass and uh that's when i i started to play it and then um i got really drunk one night and I came home stumbling, drunk, and was about to fall down and grabbed onto my upright bass that was on a stand. And both of us went to the ground, and that, that thing was in pieces. Oh, no. By the time. And uh, from there, I had a friend of mine who uh, glued it back together so I could, you know, still kind of play it. But I had put it down for, for many, many, many years. And then. A good friend of mine, um, you know, he he uh, played in a band with me, uh, played upright bass, and he had an extra bass that he was getting rid of, and that's the bass I have now. Name an instrument you don't play well. Terrible guitar player. Terrible. Really? Yeah. I don't know crap about music like that. <laughs> like, so like, I imagine like if you were a decent, if you're a good bass player, you might be a decent guitar player, but I don't know anything about that. So I, I, at one point I was a decent rhythm guitarist. I could play, uh, I'm, you know, we're, I'm so going back to the, the days of that song you played. I played uh rhythm guitar, I played acoustic rhythm guitar and, uh, I played a lot of uh, hot jazz and swing with uh, a band out of uh, Ohio of a singer. He played um, steel steel guitar and electric guitar at the same time. We had an upright bass. It was like old fashioned uh, Western swing and and hillbilly hillbilly jazz. You know, we were a trio, and that was probably the best I ever was on guitar was when I was playing back in those days. But then I just I put it down for for many for for a lot of years. You know, uh, probably coinciding with me starting to play vintage baseball was the last time I probably really played guitar. Have you so terrible? Have you attributed any uh, of your music 
to vintage baseball? Like, are you into the writing process of writing songs? And like you said earlier, you'd like, you know, you don't want to do a cover. You'd rather just steal somebody's song and make, make it your own, uh, kind of thing. Uh, have you been at a vintage baseball game and inspired about a song just from playing in a game? <laughs> no, I, I, I really think it, it's two separate entities for me. I mean, they're both two separate madnesses, I guess. You know, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm able to compartmentalize, you know, the, the two of them. You know, one doesn't inspire me over the other. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's best way I can explain that. I just want to state for everybody that uh, made comments about uh, getting the the beep button ready for Johnny because of his prowess of cursing, uh, a very accomplished professional cursor. Johnny is, uh, not once. <laughs> not once. Uh, I, and I won't, you see, I, again, I, I have a horrible mouth, a horrible <laughs> mouth. And I've been on plenty of radio live radio shows where, and I've walked into these live radio shows with my bands and they've all been, you know, uh, white knuckled nervous that I'm going to drop F bomb and, and this, that, and the other thing. And, and I had the talks beforehand and, uh, and I said, guys, that it's, you can shut it all off if you really have to. Yeah. I wasn't worried. <laughs> we don't have anything ready. Oh, you should always be worried. <laughs> but... Okay. So before Rudy goes with this next question, so to, to go off of that, we were at Old Beth Page. I was there with my wife. Uh, you were in a match. Uh, the Grays and Canton Corn Shuckers were uh, experimenting with their 86, and you guys kind of got it handed to you a little bit. And I was calling the game, and after the game, my wife came over to me, and she goes, did you hear that guy uh, just going crazy swearing? And I said, you know what? I honestly, I don't. I don't, I don't remember that happening at all. I guess I was just into calling the game or whatever. She goes, Oh my God, he was so upset. He was so mad. And then Johnny, we walked over to you and your wife and I was with my wife and I asked you to be on the show and we walked away and she goes, Oh my God, that was, that was him. He's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was having a very bad weekend and that was probably that game was probably the, the best behaved I was all weekend. Oh, so that, that goes to show you how poor that weekend was for me. Um, I mean, in fact, uh, Brian Travers would, would probably like me to never talk about that weekend ever again <laughs> in my life. Oh man. Hmm. That was a good one. That's really <laughs> funny. Like, uh, uh, I, I don't have a sim. You probably don't remember it, but it's a, almost a similar uh, thing. Barrel roller. I was. I stepped in for Chuck, and I started umpiring the one of the Grays matches in Gettysburg. And there was a play. I don't know. They were at the far field. I don't even remember who they were playing. But uh, the guy tagged the ball with the base. Uh, uh, tagged the the base with the ball. And I know the call. I was waiting on Brian to ask me. Because they're like, no, stay, you know, it's, you know, the, the the whole routine here. I'm talking about people. You got people yelling. He's out. Stay on the base. Stay on the base. And Johnny shoots a look straight at me, and they're like, what's the call? What's and I'm like, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm messing with Brian. I'm like, who's the captain here? Because there's so many people talking. And, and Brian was like, well, what's the call? Well, say the safe, the safe. I think it was Helen. I think Helen was the one who hit it. it didn't matter. But I was just like. I like this guy's energy. And, uh, I, I went back to the tent where we were sitting, and my mom was like, "Are they mad at you?" And I was like, oh, "Over that, no." But no, it, it was. I, I could tell we're you're good people. But um, I wanted to jump on something that we mentioned. You said radio shows and stuff like that. Um, touring? Have you? Where have you been? Where? I mean, uh, and 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 one of your favorite spots to, uh, to play music? Uh, I've probably been to most cities in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, Canada. Um, my favorite, 
my favorite event I ever played was the the high rockabilly in in, in uh, Calafell Beach uh, in Spain, um, and it was uh, and I'm notorious for not having a clue what what's going on around me sometimes, and and I had, and I'm just I didn't realize that I the place I was going to was on the Mediterranean Sea. I just thought I was going to Spain. I'm like, ah, I'm going to Spain. <laughs> and I, you know, and we just, uh, we started drinking and got on a plane and <laughs> I'm sitting on a couch with uh, Dale Hawkins and uh, Billy Riley waiting to check into my room. And, and uh, all of a sudden I'm, I realize I'm, I'm on the Mediterranean Sea and it's a, 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 a beach resort and I have no bathing suit. Oh. And I had to go into this bathing this store to buy a pair of shorts, and an extra large in Europe is not an extra large in America. Of course not. So I looked horrendous in this <laughs> tiny little. No, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, and, and but that was probably the the most favorite trip of my life. Um, it was uh, one of the last trips. Uh, a friend of mine who passed away. It was one of the last trips I had been on that we were on the, the same bill together. Um, some great old friends, and uh, it was that was probably the, the greatest place I'd ever been. Amazing. Uh, so we're really starting to get a an outline, a sketch of what your music career has been. You're actually a touring musician. How often do you do you go out and tour? Is it basic when you just come out with an album, or I know I, I I no longer really do any of that, uh, and that's one of the one of the th- reasons why I was able to start playing uh, vintage baseball is because I kind of put that chapter of my life aside and uh, just wanted to focus more on just you know getting my life together, but I. I have that itch to always be, be somewhere and, and go somewhere. And that's why the vintage baseball was, was fantastic. And, and when, when Brian said to me before, uh, you know, I'd gotten into it, he's like, well, we travel a lot. So if you don't like to travel and I was like, no problem, bro. <laughs> Gotta be no problem. <laughs> so, I mean, th- those days are, the touring days are almost, I'm not ever getting back in a van. Let's just put it this way. <laughs> you you paid your dues. You don't. I paid my dues. That. Yeah, you don't need to do that anymore. That's a, a very rare occurrence. Every captain and manager really wants to hear that from uh, a potential uh, uh, club member. Hey, touring uh, and traveling is not an issue because hmm. that's that's a rare sentence to hear in in our community. I want to. This is such a natural because you've been dipping your toe in it and vintage baseball. Uh, Barrel roller, you got anything else? Because I I, I want to hit up like how you came into vintage baseball. It seems like you had this rich, fulfilling, like going to Spain, wearing short shorts on the beach life. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're dressed. A in some... beach, by the way. See, that's, that's called living the dream. Rough. So... <laughs> uh, no, we're how... good, Rudy. Go with it. Go with it. How did you end up in vintage baseball? Well, as you know, the Providence Grays have been around for 25 years. Um, I am a native of Rhode Islander. I lived in Rhode Island uh, up until I moved to Massachusetts with my wife. I think I've been in Massachusetts for 10 years now. So, or 12 years. So, 35 years or so, I I, I lived in Rhode Island. Um, I had I had known some musicians who had played for the Providence Grays or, you know, and, and I had gone to see them play. Cause I've always, I mean, I've always loved baseball's always been a, a, you know, a passion of mine. Uh, so I always knew the Grays were there. So that was my, you know, my understanding of, Oh yeah. I remember, I know there's this vintage baseball thing going on somewhere. I remember that, you know, the Providence Grays and but I lived in Massachusetts, so I uh, I reached out to the Boston Bean Eaters, and they sent me to Brian Travers because they said they had uh, they had too many guys 
and I actually interpreted interpreted that as uh, uh, they don't want a forty year old rookie. <laughs> so that's code. You read, yeah, yeah. I read, I read it. I read it pretty good. I um, so I I messaged the Providence Grays, and it was Brian that 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 got back to me, and and we had tried for I tried for an entire summer to come out because he said just come out and watch it, and I had no intentions of of actually playing in that, in that season. I just wanted to come out and watch a few games and see if I could do it. And, uh, there was one weekend I was able to, um, I was able to come out and it was against the Boston bean eaters. Oh, and I was just coming to watch. And when I got there, you know, Brian introduced himself to me and he said, by the way, you have to play today. We only have seven guys. Yes. And I hadn't swung at, you know, overhand pitching or I'd played softball for a, a season, but I hadn't swung at overhand pitching since high school. So we're probably looking at 25 years. Uh, and I had to dig in there and try to hit a baseball or, and catch a baseball with no gloves. And we only had eight guys. Wow. What was your stat line for that game? Did you, Over did you- six. God damn it. I was hoping this was going to be one of those stories where you're like, and I shoved it in the bean eater's nope. face. Nope. I, I think I popped up probably five times or four. Brian, I will whip out the stat sheet and, and, and let me know officially. So it was either four or five times I popped up the second base or the pitcher. But I think the last, my last at bat, I I got a hold of one. I, and I it was, a, it was a long fly ball to, to left field. And then I said, eh, maybe I can do this. I don't think I caught a ball. I think every ball hit to me, I dropped. So when did you get your revenge on the Boston Bean Eaters? Opening day of the next season. <laughs> See, he, tell us. Tell us the stat line. <laughs> well, again, and Brian can remember them, but I definitely had a, a, a few hits, and, and uh, I, was, I, was, I was able to play the next time. Because I ended up playing that the, the first season I joined, I played five games. In the tail end of the season, I played uh, Boston Bean Eaters in an overhand game, and then I think what what made Brian fall in love with me was the fact that my my second attempt to play was in Bethpage. So I didn't get my first hit until you know I, I went out to Bethpage, and and uh, he was like, "Wow, this guy just drove." you know, five hours and he doesn't even know if he, if he's going to be on this team. <laughs> wow. And then I played the, the final two games were, which were home games for the Grays against the, the Atlantics. Hmm. And, uh, the guys were, uh, they wanted me to stick around. Nice. So you said 40 year old, uh, rookie, uh, mm-hmm. So when had this, when was the time before that that you picked up a bat? I'd started playing uh, softball the year that I wanted to play vintage baseball. Um, uh, some friends of mine uh, that I knew from a, a club I was working at, um, the city had a you know a, a wood bat baseball uh, softball league, and. Uh, you know, I said, oh, I, I could probably play softball. And I went out and it's fun. It was fun, but it didn't give me that, that extra, you know, baseball is so much different and it's, and there's just so much more to it. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like, eh, could I try to find some modern, you know, leagues, you know, over 40 leagues to play in, or do I try something that, is a little crazy and <laughs> off off the beaten path, and and that's and I knew about it, so I said I'm gonna do what I can to get out here. Nice. What was so like? Uh, you mentioned you you were dropping balls in your first couple of matches. You you were getting into softball. What's your preferred position? And like, did that translate into vintage baseball, or did you have to find someplace else to play? So I was I was a catcher in high school. Hmm. Um, you know, and I was, I was a catcher. I started catching in little league and, uh, I caught, you know, in 
and all the little leagues and the, the, the travel leagues. And I was, uh, believe it or not, I was a bigger kid for my age. Uh, it wasn't until like ninth grade where the kids kind of, you know, I was here, you know, in junior high and the kids were here. And then I go to high school and <laughs> now I'm, you know, I, they kind of caught up. I was a bigger kid. So they, the traveling teams made me play with the older kids. And uh, so the city leagues, I, you know, I was a catcher and, you know, we, we played, you know, night games under the lights and, then I went to high school and I, you know, I played for my high school and I was, a, I was a catcher for my freshman year and, and a little bit into my sophomore year, there was a much better catcher that showed up in my sophomore year. But for the most part, I was a catcher. So, you know, when I had said to Brian, I was like, well, I used to play catcher and that, that might've, that might've done it. Cause he was like, there's no one crazy enough to play overhand catching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite uh, type? You play different years, uh, which we don't experience in the Midwest. Everybody's pretty much locked into the year that they play with the occasional, if they have to play a team that plays by their rules, they'll switch it up a little bit. But uh, you guys play by different rules. Do you do you enjoy the 64 or like the 80, uh, the 80s where you're playing fast pitch? Yeah, I, I'd rather play uh, overhand pitching. Um, any any style that that has overhand pitching. Uh, the, one of one of the things I'm really proud of with this team is is we we will play any style anywhere, anytime, even if we don't know how to do it. We're going to do it. And one of the things that our at our festival that we do at Rocky Point is. We try not to play the same style twice. If we have to play four games, five games, we don't want to play the same style twice if, if we can avoid it. And we try to, you know, when we make the schedule, we try to we try to make sure that we can do that. I mean, in the uh, the year before last, I was crazy enough to, to say to Brian, I was like, why don't we play an 1878 game, which was the first year of the Providence Grades. And none of us had, knew how to play it, and it which, which is the sidearm – delivery you know and it's and we just went out there and and did it and none of us knew what we were doing and it was not the best outcome <laughs> how do you find an umpire for a 78 game when no one's playing 78 like they really got to do their homework before the game uh so the, the brian travers makes sure that all of us know what we're doing so if you ever have a game where somebody from the Providence Graves is umpiring, they're going to, they're going to, he's going to make sure that you know what you're doing. He's one of the most intelligent human beings I've ever met. And the man knows a lot about baseball, a lot. Wow. Well, have you, uh, have you umpired a couple of matches? So uh, the only games I've gotten to umpire were 64 games. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, those are cakewalks, man. That was a good one. That's those good pretty. One. Yeah, yeah, nice. You no, know, nice. um, uh, before oh, sorry, Rudy, I just wanted to ask: when you're umpiring a 64 game, how much leeway are you giving the hitters before you're saying "let's go"? Um, two pitches. Starting, I, I like to see if the pitcher is um in in the. First couple innings, I like I like to see a couple pitches, and I like to see if the pitcher is is intentionally avoiding the hitter or not, where the hitter is intentionally not swinging, and I and then I try to I gauge to I gauge from there, and that's that's how I do it, and that's how I interpret the game from what I've been told. That's amazing. I mean, I mean that's uh, that's a completely different experience from the majority of the Midwest vintage baseball players. Uh, the majority of clubs have people on them that either a have no interest in umpiring or, or, or uh, B they're just like afraid they'll make a bad call or they won't know a rule. So they just put it off altogether. But um, let me ask you this question about you, you mentioned, you know, like 
games and the Rocky Point Festival, what does a, a typical season for the Grays look like? And you can kind of like, you know, nutshell it. You don't have to get like specific, but like, when do you start? When do you end? Uh, we start uh, probably about the second week of April and we finish in the second week of October. Uh, we, we try to, we try to, we try to do about 40 to 44, 46 games a year. Um, I took over doing, doing the schedule uh, a few years ago and I, I kind of looked at, you know, the calendar and where it's, where I try to do us, you know, a couple weeks on, a couple weeks off, a couple weeks on. And if you map it out like that, you know, in the, in the Bolton, a little bit of July and most of August is where a majority of the games are going to come because they're the, the weekenders where you're, you're playing four games over a weekend. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of takes care of itself from there. Uh, we do four overnight trips a year, which are, you know, whether it be a festival or we, you know, we drive out this year, we, we did, uh, went and played the Resolutes in New Jersey and then shot over to Smithtown and played the Atlantics. And that was one of our, this year. Johnny, were you in the documentary, You Must Be This Tall, the story of Rocky Point Park? Wrote the music. <laughs> you wrote Myself with with a bunch of guys. Uh, uh, that that everybody, every musician that was that was on those songs with me had a part in writing. Um, the guy that wrote some of the great music on that was this guy Greg Burgess. He was the guitar player of my band. He wrote um, he wrote carnival music on a Selmer guitar. Which was what um have you heard of Django Reinhardt? No. Django no. Reinhardt was a, a, a jazz player and he had two working fingers and he's considered one of the greatest guitar players of all time. In fact, because of his um, messed up hand, he could only make these certain chord changes and he invented, you know, um, you know, gypsy jazz. Okay. You know, there's gypsy jazz players and, and Greg Burgess got really, he, he could play the gypsy jazz stuff. He wrote a bunch of carnival songs uh, that were gypsy jazz and they are fantastic. And he doesn't get as much credit for that because they put my name on the thing, but a lot of the stuff he, he did really right. And he was, yeah, my, 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 my name's on the, uh, on the bill there. So, so you have an IMDb page. It's actually on your official IMDb page. And on my screen, you're right next to Rudy Frias, who also has an IMDb page. And one of his credits is he was the Latino spokesman of Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> you, you keep you keep getting it wrong, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it's very i'm i um it, two very di different disciplines but i find that like when you were talking about putting you know the touring behind you and focusing on you know you know vintage baseball there wasn't you know i i had to make a choice i can't do theater and 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 go out on auditions and all of these gigs and play vintage baseball it's just it's takes up too much brain space and it I wouldn't be married or with kids if I chose both of those. So theater had to take a backseat for a little bit and focus on baseball. So you were you were kind of I was commiserating with you when you were saying that. Well, I mean, I've been very fortunate. Uh I, I I don't know I don't know if there would be another woman that could marry me besides my wife because every time you know it yeah, I'm I'm slowing things down. Um, uh, you know, I'm I'm only gonna play you know in two bands and baseball, and and tomorrow it's three bands and baseball. Yeah, right. I don't know how she deals with me. I really don't. <laughs> uh, so kind of like me and podcasts. You know, I always like I'm I'm gonna record a podcast, and she the eye roll I can feel it from the other room. So yeah, yeah. 
But uh, she never, I, she never, I, she, she's like absolutely like the ba- she loves the baseball. Oh, like, I mean, yeah, she, I mean, she comes with me a lot of the time. No, oh. I tell her, like, here, here are the overnights. Which ones do you want to go to? Yeah, and she always goes to Gettysburg. Nice. Um, this year, she she definitely wants. She wanted to go to Bethpage this year. Nice. I got it really easy with my wife. She she lets me go and do whatever I want. In fact, she you know she helps me with packing. Doesn't even ask me when I'm going to be home. It's great. <laughs> so. uh, all right, Johnny. Hey, thanks for joining us. But before you go, I'm going to hit you with the old pepper, which you're way too cool to listen to any episodes of this podcast. I'll tell you that. But what we do is we ask a bunch of a bunch of random questions. That just require quick answers just to get to know you better. This is not the music we usually use for the background of that segment, but it is today. (laughs) Okay. No, you know what? I'm going to play the other music. Yeah, don't give... You make the people go and purchase that song so my man can get a half a cent off of... The, the digital download streaming. Yeah, if we so can don't get, get you... Don't get the audience too much. You know, if, if we the band... Get, uh, go ahead. My, my band got a $74 Spotify check this year. I was, I was like, what's that, like 30 million plays? Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the next time you get a check, just remember, eight cents of that's coming from us. All right, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Johnny, here we go. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and turn to the list. Here we go. When you're out playing bass in all of these bands, in your closet, there's that one outfit. That one outfit that you are the most confident in, the one you think you play the best in. Describe this outfit. All black. <laughs> it's an all black suit. It was too easy. You knew what it was. That was an easy one. Uh, do you prefer a napkin? Well, well I, I should say I'm, I'm, I'm very bougie. I've got probably like 10,000 outfits. All right. So we're changing the question. What is the most outlandish outfit that you wear on stage? Oh, I've got this crazy, like, this like bright blue suit I wore uh, back in, uh, which I wore to uh, one of the Gray's weddings, Mike Duggan's wedding. I wore this really crazy loud blue suit, and it was so cool. I had to wear it on stage. It's it's one of my favorite pictures I've ever had. There's a there's a Providence Gray's 25 year anniversary party in November. Will you wear that blue suit to that party? Probably not. Damn um, it. <laughs> I have an even better suit that I'm wearing to another player's wedding next weekend. <laughs> so the, and it's all pink. An oh, all pink suit is fantastic. We're going yes. to see pictures. Uh, do you prefer a napkin or a moist towelette? Moist towelette. What was your first I hate car? I eating with my hands. Uh, what was your first car? My first car. Oh, my dad gave me his uh, Toyota Corolla uh, uh, wagon, and I didn't. And I didn't. I didn't want it. <laughs> it was so terrible. <laughs> How long did you drive it? I probably purposely drove it into the ground. Oh, uh, <laughs> probably like a year. <laughs> what is a hidden talent that you have? I don't think I hide any talents. I don't know how much talent I actually do have. That's the real question. That's what she said. Uh, what is your favorite wood? Do you really want me to answer that? <laughs> it's, it's your answer. What is your favorite wood? Uh, its last name is Carla Valley. <laughs> is the no, 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 no. What is your wife's best quality? Oh, she's one of, well, she's 
probably one of the most caring human beings I've ever met in my life. He's absolutely like spiritually uh, beautiful on top of uh, uh, being beautiful. She's, she's physically beautiful and mentally beautiful. Name the most famous person in your phone contacts list. Ooh, let me look. <laughs> there might be a few. Yeah, just give us one and their number. Or you don't have to give us <laughs> I got, I got uh, uh, Ricky Coyne is in here. He was a uh, a New England rock and roller. Okay. Google it, everybody. Actually, I backed him up. I backed him up. That's how I forgot his number what is your favorite adult beverage? Uh, Jameson. What was the first concert you ever attended as a fan? Oh, that's hard. That's, that's a hard one because my dad used to take me to uh, the Warwick tent in Warwick, Rhode Island to see like the, the um, bands like the Four Tops. You know, like when they were when they were coming, they were they were older and four tops, stuff like that. I want you to do a Mount Rushmore, but I want you to do it in the four most overrated musical acts that you think are overrated. Oh. <laughs> overrated musical acts. I do. I don't know. Could I, be band, <laughs> could be bands. Could be singles. If you say Britney, I'm hanging up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I, I I really can't even answer that. That's such a hard question. That's like not even. It doesn't even fit in my brain All because right. like, musicians are. It's such a hard thing to do. Uh, then give me one overrated Major League Baseball player. One overrated Major League Baseball player. Can I go with the Sox? Yeah. yeah. I think uh, J.D. might be a little overrated at this point. Oh. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll allow it. <laughs> he had a tough year. Uh, being a Tigers fan, uh, we still feel the sting of J.D. Martinez uh, getting traded away from us. and uh, But, yeah, but he's had many good seasons up until this season, so he gets a little bit of a leeway. Uh, but you guys got to blame it on somebody because you're not going to the playoffs. Sorry. Hey, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we always appreciate guests coming on a podcast they've never heard of before, and they get um, some guy walking up to him out of nowhere, asking him to be on it. And you were very uh, polite and nice, and you're nothing like you are when you're out of the line of sight swearing at everybody. You're nothing like that guy. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I, I, I 10 out of 10 players would, would no longer be on the Providence Grace. I think I'm the, I might be the only one that gets a pass. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm the only one that gets a pass. I mean, it's very authentic for the vintage, <laughs> for the vintage. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, Rudy, do you have anything uh, to say to Johnny in closing? Nah, man, it's uh we never officially met and, and, you know, it's nice to, nice to get to, put a face to the name and uh i look i i look forward to hopefully sharing the field with you one day whether it be in gettysburg or or one of the many trips either of our clubs make so uh yeah that'd be great thank you very much guys i appreciate this uh absolutely and you can catch johnny october 8th at the hambone skinny record release show am i right on that Damn, you yeah, all the, all the bands, all the bands on that bill are uh, are all on the Rumbar record label, Hambone Skitty. Uh, they're their record release. They're also on our label. And they're uh, fantastic. And you can also find Johnny at the Providence Grace 25th anniversary party. Uh, you can go to Helen Sheldon, I believe is her name. Her 
her page on the Facebooks and, and find out they're just starting the planning of that. Johnny, any chance that you'll grab your bass and be up on stage during the Providence Grays party? I think we're going to probably figure something out. I know Helen's band is playing. Uh, oh, she's Helen's got a fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Helen's fantastic. Her band is what a phenomenal singer. Well, you just, um, gave him, <laughs> you just gave him an idea for another guest. Seems, <laughs> seems like we have another guest. <laughs> yeah, her her band is gonna is definitely playing uh, the party, and uh, I'll figure something out to get to get myself up there. I, there's a couple of greys that, that play instruments, so we might we might have to get them up there. Awesome. All right. Thanks for everybody listening. Uh, we're out of here. Make sure you go to Instagram, uh, t- the Twitters, the Facebooks. The, I don't care about any of that. Just download these episodes and listen as we interview vintage baseball players and the things that make them so interesting. Take us out, Rudy. That's right. For the barrel roller, this is Swamp Fox telling you to keep it stationed in the station, and we'll see you out in the field.